Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 72, The Curse of Tahotep. Come on, Dale, get moving. Let's go, let's go. Hey, come on, look at your butt. I want to see. <sighs> Dale, come on, give me a hand here. Dale. Dale, come on. I'm sorry. Oh, not in my oh, eyes. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Hey, what's gotten into you, huh? I can't believe where I am at all. Oh, my God. Say that again. Oh, this is incredible. Hey, hey, what'd you find there? As for anyone who will disturb the tomb of... King Death will swallow him. Oh boy. I don't believe this. I'm standing in the tomb of Tahotep. I've dreamed about this my whole life. Let's see. Your name is Dale Conway. You're a professor of archaeology at Kansas State University. And you're here on a on a dig in Egypt. Anyway, you're here on an expedition with one Ginny Will. Uh, she's a professor of Egyptology at... Um... Ginny Will from Brown University? Yeah. That Brown, Ginny Will? Uh, oh, my. She's famous. I mean, I, I read yeah. all of her papers. Well, okay, she's brilliant. Here, here it comes. Wait a second. Here it comes. She and Conway disappeared on a dig in 1957. That's this dig. And they were swallowed up without a trace. This is bigger than King Tut. We can't walk away from this now. I did a thesis on this guy. This is a chance of a lifetime. Legend has it that Tahotep had a diamond scarab the size of a cow's eye called the heart of Tahotep. Supposedly, he used it to work magic. Right, and with it, he would one day walk again on Earth. He's already doing it. He's dead. Oh, my God. Allah, be merciful. Sam, it's the curse. Hey everyone, I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And welcome, one and all, to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Guys, today, not only are we talking about the Season 4 episode, The Curse of Tahotep, but we are doing so with a very special guest. Please join me in welcoming Quantum Leap producer Morgan Feldon. Morgan! Yay! 
Thank you for that great intro. Isn't he the podcast producer rather than an actual Quantum Leap producer? I didn't say podcast. You just said Quantum Leap producer, which kind of puts him up there with Don, which, you know, maybe is fine for, for Morgan. Yeah, let's not correct that. We got a real get now. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back to the Quantum Leap podcast, Morgan. This is your second go around with us. The first since that harrowing table read for Paradox. I'm glad that you were able to get through that and, you know, live to see another day to talk on mic with us again. So That was a little wacky. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and you came back well it was a lot of fun and as i said on that recording i couldn't have done it without you so thank you and thank you for coming back today um not only will morgan be joining us to talk about tahotep but we will also be finally interviewing him about the amazing handlink replica prop that he helped create so i know allison you have one yeah it's awesome i have two of them <laughs> what well, stop that I want one of them. I have two of them because I bought one of the prototypes that that didn't light up with the the sound, which is what you worked on, Morgan. The Morganless edition. <laughs> Before we had the electronics figured out. Yeah, yeah. Then I have the Morgan edition. <laughs> so yeah, I can't wait to dig into that whole process because I'm sure it was uh, really difficult but interesting. And it's funny that uh, we have you on on this one because one thing I did notice about uh, Tahotep. I don't know if it's maybe because of the drab scenery, but the hand link looked really, it really stood out in this one. It looked like really sharp. Did they have a new hand link, I wonder, for this? Or the colors just seemed extra vibrant. I think when you put it a bun- against a bunch of beige, it probably stands out <laughs> a little bit. Everything looks good against beige. I think the palette of the entire episode is browns and beige and browns and beige. And some reds. They got a lot of red going on. Yeah. Well, I've been to Egypt, and that is somewhat accurate, so we can talk about that. But um, Look at Mr. Fancy Pants here. (laughs) I've been to Egypt. I've only been once. My wife has been like three times, so. (laughs) My wife's been to Egypt three times. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not as fancy as some. Chris, are you recording from the east wing of your place tonight, or the west wing? I know you like to move around a little bit. I leave the West Wing for Martin Sheen. Thank you very much. <laughs> you have there you Penelope go. on a fancy little pillow. <laughs> Penelope's always on a fancy little pillow. She's actually right behind me, sleeping on a pillow. So, Aww. but she's a sweet kid. All right, it's enough making fun of me. We'll do a lot more of it when we talk about Egypt later. But uh, Morgan, you need to give us material for you, and then we can make fun of you too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds like a trap. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if I'm saying it plainly, I'm not tricking you into anything. (laughs) Allison, he grabbed your heart of, what is it? What the hell was the heart of? The eye of Tahotep? The heart. Yeah, it was the mummy's heart. It was the the heart. He grabbed your mummy's heart. I'm going to say it wrong. All this time, I was saying Pahotep, but it was Tahotep. And I'm like, that's not right. Like, Mandela effect. And then I watched the episode and everyone's saying Tahotep. I'm like, oh, I'm a big dummy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like pea pneumonia. The pea is silent. Pomonia. I was saying it pomonia the whole time. <laughs> Again, Mandela effect. My whole life they were saying it pomonia. All of a sudden it's pneumonia. Yeah. Crazy stuff. It's the Bernstein bears, right? Not the Berenstain bears. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the one that threw me. The Baron hashtag bears. Stupid Mandela changing everything. I swear to God. I mean, okay, we're going to talk about the Mandela effect. I swear <laughs> to God, I remember watching footage of that kid getting run down in Tiananmen Square by a tank. But who do, what do I know? That didn't happen? That's what they're saying. It didn't happen. There's no footage. What? They're saying. There's a picture before and a picture after, but... I thought for sure that I saw that too. Mind blown! (laughs) 
So it's also like the picture of Henry VIII with the turkey leg. I'm pretty sure I saw that when I was a kid in some book growing up. But just because it doesn't exist on the internet doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means that no one has ever scanned it up to the internet. Nothing is real. Yeah, I bet the Tiananmen Square thing was just like a movie or something that showed it. And then everyone was kind of like, yeah, that's that's what happened. That's the reality. The footage. I don't know. Let's put it this way. I think I was in middle school when that happened. So I was probably not the most astute observer of world events. I could be conflating this memory with another memory. So Yeah, but I thought I saw it too. Oh, well. I remember seeing that footage, but apparently it didn't happen. Apparently nothing is real. <laughs> <laughs> there's a picture, but there's I don't think there's footage. Oh, okay. There is a picture of him standing in front of the tank. Well, yeah, the standing in front of the tank. That's That's a famous one. Yeah. Getting run down? I've not even heard of this one. Yeah, that's one of the Mandela effects. So Now that we've gotten the Quantum Leap podcast banned in China. <laughs> right. <laughs> not that difficult. I'm thinking we were probably banned before, but, uh, you know, now we've sealed the deal. And uh, it's a shame because that means people in China won't be able to hear Allison's wonderful, rhapsodic first impressions of The Curse of Tahoe Tap. Allison, what did you think of this episode? What a smooth transition. <laughs> wow. I was scripting this stuff sometimes. Oh, my God. Morgan's put me on my A-game. I feel like I have to perform. The producer is here. Look busy. <laughs> oh, my God. Better make it good. Um, Yeah, I got a better impression than you, Chris, apparently. I love this episode. I think it's fun. I love the change of scenery. Uh, I love the good old-fashioned adventure Indiana Jones-esque elements to it. I like that Sam's geeking out over history. Uh, I I think it's fun. All right. And Matt? Man, I wish you hadn't mentioned Indiana Jones. I I had a joke to lead in with, but never mind. Oh, Um, sorry. (laughs) No, I knew you were going to do that as well. I thought it's so obvious. I, I... I'm really sorry about this to everyone who's listening that is going to hate me now, but I really don't like Indiana Jones that much. Um, and You belong in a museum. I'm just being honest here. And this is an Indiana Jones riff, if ever there was. Um, it's fun. Uh, it's adventurous. I like it. Um, I think it's very obviously trying to yeah, play on certain 80s nostalgia very specifically but it doesn't play to a genre that i'm a huge fan of so I'm, it, that turns me off this episode a little bit all right and uh morgan how about you what'd you think of curse of tahotep well as an indiana jones fan i loved it <laughs> <Yeah>! <laughs> everyone loves indiana jones it gets five what did i say five flying spaghetti kicks for me <laughs> <laughs> wow that's high praise indeed. Five out of five. Five out of five <laughs> flying noodle kicks. Crap. Noodle kicks. That's it. Yeah. One of the ramen something. Oh, I thought know. you were just jo- You didn't remember it was noodle kicks? <laughs> I knew it was some form of pasta. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Mandela effect. You thought it was spaghetti kicks. <gasps> but it's always been spaghetti, surely. <laughs> i got to check back. <laughs> and hey, any episode that has some goofing around with the hand link is uh, always interesting. This one made some strange noises. This does have some important hand link stuff in it, doesn't it? I think it does. I think it yeah. does. And, you know, you guys, I, Allison, I know that because you've seen my notes, um, you think that I'm pretty <coughs> down on this episode. To be honest with you, I didn't like it that much when I first saw it many, many moons ago, and I still don't really know what to make of it. I think it's fine. I think it's fun, like you guys said. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's riffing on Indiana Jones, so that's cool. It's got some neat elements to it, but... 
in the end, I just think it's also somewhat goofy and kind of pointless. So mm. we can get there. <laughs> kind of pointless. Yep. That sums it up. Can I go now? <laughs> okay. Well, it's good to see you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> what if we just kicked him out of the call? Like, for real? <laughs> <laughs> so Chris can edit me in later. Yeah, fun. and then you'll be like, fuck you. And we'll be like, oh, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit of trivia about this episode I remember reading in Matt's book about the, the hieroglyphics. Do you remember, Matt? Yeah, so... um. The writer, uh, Chris Rippenthal, is a, apparently a big archaeology buff, and he got uh, an Egyptologist from Berkeley so that they could get really authentic hieroglyphs. And then set dressers, being set dressers, got bored and started putting uh, Rolling Stone tongues and Bart Simpson and stuff like that in there. <laughs> Even in HD, I've never quite been able to make them out, but I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's possible if you squint. I skimmed every single frame in HD. Could not find anything. Yeah, I just watched it and I didn't. It, it didn't jump out at me. Which also means that uh, Egyptologists probably wasn't worth whatever money they spent on them. No, I well, I could see the hieroglyphics. I just couldn't make out like Bart Simpson's or Rolling Stone tongues or things like that. If you can't make out Bart Simpson, one of the the most well known icons of the twentieth century, uh, you're probably not going to be able to make a very specific accurate hieroglyphics surely yeah but they have close-up hd shots of them did the guy go to the set or did he just give them a bunch of notes and say here draw this no idea <laughs> one thing that they were drawing on though was uh, a real historical figure there was a tahotep but he wasn't a king oh he wasn't a king he was like a civil servant he was like a mayor and um his tomb was discovered in Saqqara. i want to say that's where the leap takes place i know that i'm mispronouncing that and one thing I read on Wikipedia, Tahotep was long believed to be the person who wrote the very first book. It was kind of like a, a guide for living and manners. Oh. He was sort of like the Ben Franklin of his day. He was like a statesman and mm -hmm. uh, he had really annoying advice that he thought everybody should follow. So <laughs> anyway. Wait, so like they based it off of a real person, but his tomb was found. Yes. But it's very clearly based around all of the, the King Tut legend stuff. Right. So it's just kind of conflating a whole bunch of different mummies. Yeah, like a mishmash of Egyptian stereotypes. A mummy mishmash. <laughs> I really think we're going to drop the monster mash in right at this point. They did the mash. <laughs> they did the monster mash. The monster mash. Tell me you didn't laugh when Al shows up and he sees a camel and he says, Man, what an ugly horse. That is funny. <laughs> In the draft script, the camel goes crazy at Alpha saying that. Oh. It's not just the noise. The camel actually tries to bite Dean. Oh, really? Yeah. Which strikes me as a very dangerous thing to try and film. I'm not sure. I've never looked into, like, how dangerous a camel bites. Certainly they, like, try to bite people a lot. Because I think camels are, are assholes, but... Mm -hmm. I've been on a camel. <laughs> yeah, me too. They're not nice. Was it an asshole? It wasn't an asshole. It didn't try to bite me. Uh, it was a Taurus camel. It was there right in front of the pyramids. So, of course, I'm going to ride a camel. I'm in front of the freaking pyramids. But I'm sorry, nice or assholes, you don't generally get a big animal trying to bite one of your two leads. It's just not good practice in film production, surely. Well, he, would, he wouldn't actually get him, though, because Al's a hologram, so you would never <laughs> see it. Like Dean isn't. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I mean, you just like have like him at a distance where it wouldn't get him, and then like, I don't think this is as dangerous as I worry. I worry. <laughs> you worry for de- it's good that you're protecting Dean Stockwell in 1992 from this camel. <laughs> Someone has to. Morgan, what's your opinion on camels? Until or not? Oh my goodness. No strong opinions? <laughs> I don't foresee being near one anytime soon. Horses I can deal with. Camels? Mm, probably have a, a real mind of their own. If you like podcasts, and if you're listening to us, you must. Uh, you should uh, listen to My Brother, My Brother and Me, uh, the Gushy Tapes. They talk about uh, a Gushy specifically, but I believe that is also the one uh, that has the section, What If Sam Beckett Were a Horse? <laughs> and it's just Quantum Leap, everything is the same, but he's a horse. How would that play out? It really is amazing, because they start one way, and then they make a complete 180. And it's just a horrifying transformation. It's a horrifying journey. It's so good. Yeah, because they need us to advertise them. Mabim Bam is not popular enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm just letting that little podcast uh, have a little bit of our star shining on it, you know? And the love song theme at the end of the episode is, Wild horses couldn't drag me away. <laughs> well, the camel was just one element of... Um, like I, I'm going to say Egyptian stereotypes on overdrive. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the the stereotype the camel really count. That I think that just places it like a, a place. But there's definitely stereotypes in here. It seemed like they had almost like a checklist of things that they mm-hmm. needed. And okay, scorpions check, cobras check. <laughs> Superstitious natives, insultingly check. <laughs> John Capelos playing every nationality ever. <laughs> what was that? I was trying to figure out what his accent was. I thought it was British, that it was French, and then it was what? <laughs> it's John Capelos doing yet another accent <laughs> character. <laughs> Allah be praised, or whatever he's saying. I'm like what? What's his name? Mustafa Razul. We should be able to figure out where he's from from that. I mean, that's that's some kind of. I think he's supposed to be Egyptian, right? Yeah, that sounds. He says he's one of he's one of Egypt's sons. Yeah, yeah. He talks about Egypt a lot, like one of Egypt's sons, and then he like oh, there we go. he's part of this museum or something that's helped funding the dig. Yeah, he's supposed to be Egyptian. Maybe he's like Christopher Lambert in Highlander. He's just he's travelled around a lot and has picked up the weirdest accent ever. I couldn't figure out if they put him in darker makeup or if he's just supposed to be kind of like dirty like everyone else. <laughs> oh god, I I thought he was dirty, but now I'm worried. Yeah, hopefully this was not brown face. I really <laughs> hoping it wasn't. I'm not so sure now. Yeah, I think that aspect did not hold up terribly well. I Yeah, I didn't even notice that. I was too busy trying to figure out, okay, did he study in Oxford? If he's Egyptian <laughs> or... Paris? Right, like what's going on <laughs> with this guy? He could have been studying stuff in France. Maybe that's why he had that Paris accent. Maybe he went to school in, in France. I think him saying that he's a son of Egypt probably means he's Egyptian. No, I'm saying where he got his training, where he got his education, oh. which is why he has that outrageous accent. You're trying to excuse the accent, aren't you? Yes. Oh, like he's Egyptian, but then he like studied abroad for a while. So that's why he's sort of a mishmash, yeah. a mummy mishmash, if you will. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. Anyway, that's my headcanon for this, so... Post-creative rationalization. Right. Yes. (laughs) And I mean, that's the least of it for this episode. Jesus Christ, this episode. Um, (laughs) One thing I noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed, when Al's talking about them um, 
uh, like they're 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 realizing that they're not going to find Tahotep, and like Sam's sad about it. Like Al's like, well, we'll just find him in the future. And in the ADR, he says 1999, but clearly he's saying 1992 when they filmed. Yes, I missed that. You know, the thing is, though, Dean wasn't the most um, astute when it came to continuity in the show. I don't think that was his fault. I think that's probably what the script was. You think? I'm trying to find it in the script now. Oh, there we go. Um, Yeah, actually, in the script, it does say we can dig him up in 1999. So it was Dean. I I thought it was a scripting issue as well, but no, it was Dean. Dean! The reason I I said that, it's not a dig against Dean, but I have seen outtakes um, at one of the East Leaps... And um, he was talking about Trudy, uh, but someone said, what's your sister's name? And he said, Loretta. So mm. I'm sure they had to <laughs> ADR that as well. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, maybe that was the best take. Maybe he made that mistake and it slipped through and they said, well, you know what? We're in the editing bay. This is this one is great for the blocking and for the time and for everything else we need. Just get him into loop of correction. I think like uh, there was another name for his sister in the script one time too. Like Donald Belisario wrote a script and it had a different name in it. So I don't think even he, he like remembered all of the details of the show. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I mean, 1992, 1999. What difference does it make? We have another supernatural episode on our hands so like <sighs> reanimated mummies are now real in the quantum leap universe the curse the curse <laughs> sam both is and isn't keen to believe in this week i really couldn't follow him it's like an, anytime al says anything sam rolls his eyes oh ah. Uh, but then sam's the one that's talking about the curse no, Sam says it's not the curse. He's always he? saying he that it's, it's not, not the, curse. the curse. At one point, he definitely says it is. And he, and he believes in mummies. I mean, yeah, I think Sam is quite inconsistent throughout this one. Well, he believes in mummies because those are a thing. Reanimated mummies, though? All right, reanimated mummies. <laughs> Zombie mummies? Yes. Uh, this is another case of uh, Al believes in something uh, malicious, but Sam doesn't. It's a very evil magic thing that he thinks could be real. Hmm. Though I think, like, Sam's pretty dumb. Like, he's like, I'm going to prove this curse isn't real. And then he releases the heart and then traps them in the tomb like a big dummy. If Tahotep's Ka is still guarding this oh, place, Dale. what could make him angrier than someone stealing no, his heart? Dale. You see, nothing happened. Okay, if you studied all this Egyptology stuff, apparently he's this big nerd for Egypt stuff. It's like, you know that there's traps set in tombs, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean... Be a little yeah. cautious there. Booby traps was another one of the big checkboxes that they yeah. had to mark off on this one. And apparently every Egyptian engineer was a Rube Goldberg because yeah. <laughs> they're just these weird traps built into everything. But And Alison, you, ju- you just mentioned something important. That Sam seems to have been an Egypt fanboy all his life. Mm-hmm. And we've never really heard about that before. I know somebody's going to mention a reference to Starcross, but mm-hmm. it, he gets <laughs> so excitable about being there. And this, this, is, this is new information. It's great! Okay, maybe this is a callback to like he he learned how to read ancient hieroglyphics. So they're like, why don't we talk about that? And I loved uh, his whole like campfire speech, where he's like, I I just couldn't believe as a kid that there were anything as old as the pyramids. Like reading a bottom, studying a bottom. I mean, it was to me, it was very cool. It's kind of like 
leaping back in time, you know? Journey to the other side. It was just so great. And he's excited, like, he's geeking out over meeting um, the, the girl, Ginny Will. Ginny, yeah. Because he's just, oh, she's just so brilliant. She was great. This is awesome. I give this a pass because of things like that. And it, it's in isolation in this 45 minutes. It's, um, it is great to see him geeking out. It's just one of those moments where it's a shame that the structure of television being what it is, it's quite hard to plan building up to that. It would have been lovely to see some references earlier this season somehow seeded, but I know that's not that's not practical. I don't know. How often do you bring up ancient Egypt anyway? <laughs> I know. I, I I know. It just it seems really crowbarred in, but then there's a lot about this script that I love and, and particularly that stuff, um, that I yeah, I, I can hand wave it away quite quite easily. Um it just it just seems to jump out out of nowhere. Did you have a problem with that callback, Morgan? No, not at all. Um I thought it was interesting that almost every episode he leaps in and he's out of sorts. He's got to figure out what's going on. He's got to figure out the players. He's got to figure out what he's supposed to do. He leaped in and he just hit the ground running. He's like, I'm in my element. He he was happy as a clam. Yeah, and I really, I'm, I'm on Team Allison with this one, Matt. I think that it's amazing that they actually referred back to uh, the second episode to finally flesh out something that we saw there. So, Chris, I think you, well, I think you and Allison are both giving Rupenthal a lot of credit here. I'd love to ask him, but do you really think that this was in any way inspired by, what, two lines in Starcrossed? We, as fans, we can totally see the link. Maybe it was in the series Bible. Was it in there? Like, all the, like, languages and different things that he can do? Yeah, but I... They might not have remembered it was from that, but that might have been put in there. Like, this is in his skill set. Perhaps. Here's why I think they might have been capitalizing on this aspect of Sam's skill set. Even if they didn't remember it per se, if it was in the Bible, they didn't remember that it was in Starcross. I have a hard time believing that they wouldn't remember an element like that in Starcross because it was a very big deal in that episode where he had the whole sesh. They had to make a whole prop based oh, on, it, you know? It's not that I don't, and sorry, I know you're about to make a point, but mm, just, just to be clear, it's, it's not that I don't think they remembered maybe they did maybe they didn't it's that i don't think the one caused the other i don't think they looked back at that scene and said oh hey that that's the point if we're going to make this episode about egypt we know that sam can read hieroglyphics therefore he must be a big egypt fanboy i think the the script came first the yeah let's make him an egypt fanboy because exactly as morgan says um it means that for once he's not a fish out of water and it's great to see sam like that and somewhere along the line, maybe they remembered, oh, yeah, that actually does tie into the fact that he can read hieroglyphics. I think even if that had never been brought up, it still would make sense to me. A lot of like history buffs, and especially someone who creates a time machine is going to be a history buff, mm -hmm. uh, are into Egypt. Mummies and pyramids and stuff are great windows into the past, so... Uh, it made perfect sense to me that this was something that he was really into and maybe not at the forefront of what he's talking about all the time, but uh, we do know that it's in his skill set. So, And it was in the 1991 series Bible. Do they, do they have that in there? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, there you the go. Four, four dead languages and uh, hieroglyphics. It's hard to know if it's a callback because I see your point, Matt, that maybe, it, you know, whether it was a callback or not, because we all know, I'm not going to spoil it, we all know the finale of the show Mirror image, there were at least four different places where they could have had callbacks that they didn't. <laughs> yeah. So. 
Well, I mean, callback or not, they really doubled down on it this time because if you recall, he said, I did my thesis on this guy, which means he got a doctorate in Egyptology mm-hmm. at some point. So <laughs> yeah. if you're doing a thesis... What can't he do? Oh. Exactly. You're getting a PhD. So it's just like they really made it like this was one of the degrees that he got. Like he is not just a fanboy. He's an Egyptian scholar who was, you know, very well versed in it. But I think another reason that they went to this to get back to the point I was going to get to before Matt so rudely interrupted mm-hmm. me. Now, um, it, it's just, again, a way for them to sprinkle in more of the supernatural stuff because... This is what I think annoyed me when I was seeing this episode for the first time. The fact that that mummy got up. Now in the Quantum Leap universe, we have <laughs> we have psychics are real, ghosts are real. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Ghost ships uh. are real. Angels are real. Demons are real. Vampires. And this is all now mm-hmm. a result of just the fourth season. I know the fifth season yeah. gets a lot of shit. <laughs> but the fourth season, I mean, we've now had more supernatural stuff in the fourth season than we have in the entire previous series combined. We got vampires, mummies, the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, because what do we, before this, we had the Boogeyman, we had Little Miracle, and we had Portrait for Troyan. So yeah, we had ghosts. Ghosts are real in their universe and they have, you know, it doesn't really bother me that this stuff is real, but I could see it bothering other people. To me, it's hilarious that in Quantum Leap canon, a mummy reanimates <laughs> and murders someone. <laughs> and Al witnesses it. <laughs> He's killing him. watches a mummy kill someone (laughs) (laughs) this happened on this show (laughs) tremendous well what did you guys think of that turn morgan you go first it definitely calls into question it's like okay it's a sci-fi show is it a (laughs) sci-fantasy show (laughs) you know because i i I had i actually allison you beat me to the punch i had the same thought it's like okay we've introduced all these supernatural elements it's like, uh, you know, is he a scientist who develops time travel and this is there's a bedrock of science underneath all this? Or is are we just off to the races? Mm. I mean, I think if they say that, like, God is orchestrating stuff and uh, they have all these other, like, things put in there, there is some stuff you could construe as magic that doesn't really have any place in science. I think him magically becoming pregnant in an episode, you can't really explain that scientifically. So, to me, it doesn't <laughs> really bother me that sometimes they do things that are uh, sometimes a bit ludicrous. <laughs> a bit. I know I talked about Sam's reaction to all of this earlier on, but now you mention this, guys, I'm now starting to wonder, besides Swiss cheesing, why Sam doesn't believe in supernatural stuff more now. Has he just has he completely forgotten all these previous leaps that you're referencing? He only remembers what's convenient. Yeah, but none of this supernatural stuff, because, yeah, I mean, there's there's um, yeah, we we know there's another uh, Another big supernatural one coming up in the fifth season, which again, he's just eye rolling all over and no, this can't be real. But yeah, he's got through all of this. That's got to be the most frustrating thing for Al, right? (laughs) He knows this stuff is real. He knows this is real. And he's like, Sam, it's the curse. It's this thing. It's ghosts. It's all that. He's like, yeah, right, Al. Whatever. Every time it's reset. <laughs> he cannot tell him what it's like 50, 50 first dates, dates, you know, yeah. like the lady can't she can't remember anything past that one day, so you gotta remind every time, like ah oh. 
and Al knows concrete proof these things exist. And Sam's like, whatever, crazy. <laughs> I think Quantum Leap came out at the cusp of shows having a developing storyline and characters changing over time. I mean, you think of, of 93, you had X-Files, you had uh, all these different shows that started coming out where, okay, we can refer back to things. We can have characters change over time. Yeah. And just to go on a tangent, you compare that to like Star Trek Next Generation, where at the end of every episode, you push the reset button. Yeah. yeah. They had amnesia. Because you can play the episodes out of order. That was the belief, you know, in franchising, whatever. Well, we can rerun the episodes in any order because nothing's going to have any continuity problems. Right. Well, I think it's also um, the way that they set it up with Sam as the skeptic and Al as sort of the superstitious one is just sort of in the fabric of the show. And the evolution isn't there. It's almost, you had mentioned the X-Files, Morgan. It's almost like Scully, after everything mm. she's freaking seen, still has to be the skeptic yeah. in every episode. Until Mulder is gone, and then she believes, and Doggett is the skeptic. Because mm. show. Yeah. yeah. So, I think it, it's just sort of a convention. <laughs> I mean, Sc I think Scully and Sam Beckett uh, have a lot in common in that uh, aspect, though, because they are both scientists. So, even if you see something that seems incredible, uh, Sam Beckett created a time machine, but in his universe, in the Quantum Leap universe... It has some basis in science. So if you told someone from like the 50s there was a time machine, uh, magic, right. you know, but this has a scientific explanation. So uh, you could say, and a lot of things that are uh, supernatural myths do have some basis in something in reality, like werewolves and hypertrichosis or things like that. So you could see like Sam still being a skeptic, even though he's seen some very wild things. I mean, I, I I would say so, and I think it's more like maybe what what you guys were both saying about sort of the Groundhog Day effect mm. of the leap, you know. Sure. So he's going <laughs> to naturally fall back on being a skeptic until he's not, because script. So I'm I'm not contributing to this part of the discussion because I'm still back on the fifty first dates thing that Allison and I went to at the same time and just imagining. Oh, um, did we both? We we both <laughs> said that at the same it? time. And yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm uh, just picturing Sam and Al in those roles, and it's it's totally. <laughs> I, I can't say anything right now because I've got a whole different script playing out in front of me. Wait, does that make Al Adam Sandler in this situation? <laughs> yes, <laughs> and he's romancing Sam over and over again. Oh, it's beautiful! It's beautiful. <laughs> Amazing. I was petting my walrus all morning, and I was thinking about you the whole time. When I first saw this episode, you know, and and I'm like, at the end, when when Razul. Gets eaten. <laughs> <laughs> he gets eaten. Oh, I see. That's your interpretation. <laughs> well, he's been he's been asleep for a few thousand years. He's got an appetite. Peckish. Yeah. <laughs> so when I first saw this, I was kind of like, I was kind of like, yeah, he ate the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't have time for for deeper themes or, or thinking about these things. Yeah, I don't think it's supposed to be that deep. <laughs> it ain't that deep, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and how old were you that first time you saw it? Sixteen? Oh, sixteen. I thought you were going to say six. That had to be freaking <laughs> awesome for a sixteen-year-old, right? <laughs> the other thing that I remember is this was one of those few cases where Razul asks him, "Okay, so so how did you get the eye out?" It's like, "Oh, I did this," and and how did you get it back in? Oh, I just put it back in. How he left out some information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sneaky. Nothing about how they actually got out. 
Razul is so dumb, though. He's so dumb. Like, he's like, now tell me how you did all this stuff, and I trust you will tell me the correct thing, and hey, help me out here. I'm trapped. This sucks. I know I was going to shoot you, but throw me a bone, man. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, I mean, this is not the only plot hole they had. The thing is, they sent Razul to go get help. Oh, he's got 12 hours before the sandstorm comes. That's enough time to get help and get back. Just enough time. Except that the car is still f***ing broken. Yeah, that's true. Everybody seemed to forget all about that. Yeah, wasn't there still like two hours to fix the steering? Right. So what was Razul doing yeah. for that 12 hours before the sandstorm blew in? He found a Pep Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a plot hole to me. Why didn't Ziggy tell them who was going to die? All these people dying and Ziggy got nothing to say? All of that was because of that chip from Egypt? Is that what's going oh, on there? Oh, God, don't oh. get me started on the chip from Egypt. The whole thing was caused by a new program that Ziggy just got from Egypt. No, 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 no. <sighs> At least it wasn't like they had one. Uh, there was an earlier episode, I think season one or two, where he has like a Japanese chip or something. And then they do like a mm -hmm. gong sound. Right now he's... Right now he's Japanese. Oh no! <laughs> the Japanese chip was last week, wasn't it? That was moments to live. Was it? They did have an earlier one where they said something about that, and I remember there was like a gong sound effect. Hang on, I got to. Um, this might have been in Disco Inferno. I'm not sure. Yeah, so in Moments to Live, there's uh, a chip from Hong Kong. That's what I was thinking of. So two, two weeks in a row, uh, Ziggy's had foreign upgrades, and uh, and never again. Yeah, Ziggy, don't they don't like them foreign upgrades in their no, time all, travel. All American chips, all American chips for the rest of the series. They learned their lesson on outsourcing. I guess. <laughs> Every time they have a foreign chip, it acts up, right? They had something that was like counting down years in Hebrew once, and yeah. stuff like that. It just comes down to Ziggy being useless yet again. And the fact that they said that the chip was from <laughs> Egypt. Yeah. It's cursed! That is just too goofy. So the mummy's curse extends to 21st century technology. Okay. <laughs> Who's making that chip? Some people still believe, like, the, the King Tut curse still affects people to this day. So that I guess some people think curses never end. Well, you think Tahotep, maybe he clawed himself out of that 50 foot of uh, sand dune that covered... <laughs> Uh, he wandered around for a little while with the Bedouins, he got his GED, and, uh, he went to work for Intel. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> you know, he's making now third generation sloppy floppies for Ziggy. Is, is that how it worked when, uh, when you were creating, uh, the handlink technology <laughs> for the property creation, Morgan? Oh, oh, definitely, yeah. Uh. <laughs> the curse even affects Morgan! <laughs> <laughs> One thing I did like about that, with the handlink going awry... Um, they have the bit where Al is stuck in the imaging chamber. The door won't open for him. Right. And he has like, he even says it's claustrophobia. And I think that, again, ties into his time as a POW. Like, you'd have to like develop that after being like stuck in a tiger cage for so long. So I, I just found that very interesting. You know, I, I, I was thinking the exact same thing because we had talked about that before. But that tomb seemed so much bigger than like a tiger cage would have. So it was kind of a stretch. Well, if you feel like you're trapped somewhere, though, I mean, claustrophobia is not rational. I just didn't get why he didn't like just make himself pop out 
outside of the tomb. He doesn't have to leave the imaging chamber, but he could go somewhere. Mm-hmm. He could just walk through the wall. Yeah, that's not as good for the dramatic tension of the show. <laughs> <laughs> he could have. At, it could have at least said like he, he tries to pop out, and then it goes like, Ping, and then he can't leave or something. Now he can't leave. But then again, the imaging chamber is apparently the size of like a football field. He just <laughs> walked forever. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Do you think the imaging chamber has like a conveyor belt floors like the holodeck? (laughs) Or do you think Al just mimics walking? He's just just walking on like (laughs) a treadmill. in place. (laughs) You know? He's moonwalking. Yeah, they should have him just hopping from one foot to the other. (laughs) Like, what? I'm walking. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. All for the benefit of Sam. All for the benefit of Sam, yes. To keep Sam uh, on an even keel. But it's funny before you were talking about eight and a half months. And sort of like the the fudging of that. To you, that was more magic than it was science. Whereas I could see them really having a debate on whether or not, especially since they had not yet established, say, mind versus body leap. Like sort of the metaphysical. Except in that episode. (laughs) (laughs) Except in that episode. We'll have this discussion until the end of time, I'm sure. But it's stated on camera (laughs) what it is. You're the only one that's like, no, I don't know about that. I just don't know about that. Well, because where'd the baby come from? Where'd it go? You know? So Magic. anyway, to me, that's an interesting side effect of leaping that could have a scientific basis because you're dealing with sort of like the quantum realm and unknowns and things like that. Whereas a mummy getting up to walk is just straight up ghost story. Straight up <laughs> well, ghost story. Did you ever consider evil leaper leaped into the mummy? <laughs> uh? <laughs> Science. Mind blown. <laughs> it was Aaliyah all along. <laughs> it's too bad the mummy didn't uh, touch Sam. And that way she would have turned back into Aaliyah. And he mm-hmm. would have turned back into Sam. And they would have fallen in love in the tomb. Love in a sandstorm. Would she just be Would she just be naked or would she be in a bunch of mummy bandages? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like she'd be wrapped up in toilet roll or something. <laughs> She'd be provocatively. It'd be like a, a Bill Thies costume. It's it's about to fall off, but you don't really get to see anything. Why didn't Sam leap into the mummy? Now I'm just sad we didn't get that. Aww. And so then they, then they have a kiss scene, and then you see a mirror shot where he's kissing a, a, a shriveled man. <laughs> You've ruined this episode for me, Morgan. Quick little sidebar here. I used to work at a Hastings, which is like a, a movie rental slash book place it's just a bunch of media and stuff and anyway um there was a rental section it was one of the last rental places even when i was working there and um there was a huge section for porn (laughs) and the porn section was never organized it's just piles of just stuff and people it's just a free-for-all and one of the most popular rentals was uh the cover it was like a lady and a mummy and it was just shriveled old nasty mummy and i'm like why are people still (laughs) renting this what is the appeal here all right first first of all we have to find out what that video is and second of all i smell patreon bonus episode no i'm not watching the mummy porn (laughs) for patreon bonus it's not happening oh the um uh, italian stallion with sylvester stallone also was rented quite often adrian (laughs) Anyway, you reminded me of that, Morgan, with your description. <laughs> oh, dear. Look what I started. I've just gone on a Google search that I, I shouldn't have done. I'm, I'm back. Did you find it, or are you just finding a slew of mummy porn? I found a lot of mummy porn. Um, 
man. Not- <laughs> this is a subgenre I didn't need to know existed. I, and not the kind of mummy porn that I thought I might accidentally stumble on. Um, but no, at- actually, yeah, no. Uh, just, just no. I'm back. <laughs> rags to rags to riches a, sh- uh, a sugar daddy episode <laughs> yeah are there any funny names throw them out here <laughs> uh no google's just sent me straight to Pornhub, so they're just very descriptive names they don't they're not not entertaining unfortunately oh. all right so we're a family show let's steer it back into yes. the family territory yeah. okay all right uh, we can if if you don't want that in there we can cut it out i didn't mean to go off on a porn <laughs> We were talking about before uh, the Sam history buff thing. I did want to say it added um, a bit of a personal stake for Sam here because he doesn't want to leave despite the danger because the the discovery of Tahotep is just like, it's just too great. He just can't mm-hmm. let this mm-hmm. be lost to time again. Right. It's important to him that this um, historical find be preserved. And I thought that was great because it gave the episode a center that it otherwise would not have had to make Sam so vested in this personally is the only thing that kept this episode tethered to anything that seemed like a practical story in my opinion, because I mean, if we're just going to get to it, let's get to it. There was no point to this leap. None at all. What are you talking about? (laughs) Sam never has a mission. What's he there for? He's there to save them from the sandstorm. No, no, he's not. They didn't say that. <laughs> Wasn't he, when he's talking about Ginny in the beginning, like, he's just like, yeah, she was great, except, like, uh, it seemed like they were hinting something happened to her, right? Al never says, you're here to save this, you're here to change that. He just comes in and he's all heebie-jeebied and spooked by the mummy. Yeah, but they're talking about the sandstorm the whole time. They disappear. Well, they're saying, no, he's saying, you have to get out of here or you're going to get killed by the sandstorm. I <laughs> Well, maybe that's what happened originally, right? Uh, maybe i i don't know i think that maybe the reason that this one sticks in my craw it was the first time where you didn't have any kind of resolution sam is just running go 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 and he leaps and so it's just like so okay so number one he failed and number two everything we just saw was pointless because it was the curse because jenny didn't do it uh razul said i've never killed anyone in my life even though they were both red herrings throughout the entire episode so obviously the mummy was somehow working supernaturally to kill everybody in the camp. And then the sandstorm blows in and Sam just leaps out and okay, well, fuck everybody. What if there is no curse, but coincidentally all of these people died and then the mummy comes back and he's like, don't pin this on me. <laughs> How do we think this ranks in the entourage of Quantum Leap whodunits? <laughs> That's a good question. <sighs> It's I I know I speak about this every time there's a who done it, but actually th- this has double the amount of uh, suspects than normal. So in in that sense, it's good. <laughs> I love that Alice. He's he has so many good lines suspecting oh. everyone. He's like, I knew it was her, except maybe it's him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oops, oops. Who's an accident? I accidentally killed everybody. Oh, oh, now I'm stuck with this secret load of secret treasure. Oh, I'm gonna have to give up my measly, poor-paying professorship and go somewhere and live a life of ease and luxury somewhere else. <laughs> give her an Oscar and let's get the hell out of here. I love 
love that line. Very good comic delivery. Well, that was uh, probably the best bit in the episode. There was a line I didn't really get the interaction, but I still thought it was funny. Where um, Sam's like talking to Al and kind of musing out loud about how to find uh, the tomb, or uh, find the the mummy in the tomb, and he's like, "Well, what if the door is hidden in plain sight?" And Al's like, oh, yeah, that'd be like that Edgar Allan Poe story, the purloined letter. And Sam's like, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Sam hated lit class. Don't you remember that? He liked the smell of Bunsen burners. I, yeah, that's a callback to that episode. <laughs> Again, same that's episode. What it was. There we go. Mm-hmm. So, in your face, Matt Dale. <laughs> <laughs> they were obviously thinking a lot more than I give them credit for. Um, and I'm thinking that maybe they were. And just follow me here. This is, I think, the first time we've seen Sam fail and leap. Like, just flat out fail. I mean, what if they just drove out afterwards, though? The car, was it fixed? But Sam, it wasn't Sam fixed. didn't drive out. And the implication is the mummy's coming to get them both, and the sandstorm is bearing down on them. And the car is probably still broken. So you think the ending is the mummy killed them? Yes. <laughs> but the mummy's trapped in there, right? Yeah. Oh, he, know, he would know how to put the heart back in, though. That's why he had that, that failsafe He's been there for 3,500 years. I mean, that's his, that's his crib. Oh, my God. That's his crib. But <laughs> do you think that them... <laughs> Having Sam so conspicuously fail was planting the seeds for Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> All of a sudden, we're changing. We're changing the parameters of leaping. Why are you laughing? This is very canon stuff. This is all. No, I don't think they were. Sa- I think they wanted a mummy spooky twist, and the, the implication was that they ran away and got away. And I think Lee Harvey Oswald was unplanned, but but Donald Belisario had like a stick up his butt oh, about was... that that Oliver we'll Stone picture, that. and they were originally going to do some other thing, and they're like, "Ha, what about this?" I think that I'm going to argue. Pi, I don't think so. It's this. I'm going to argue with you on this. Because and they needed some gimmicks because they wanted more people to watch. I think that's what happened. I think I think that's part of it. But, but, but also, Chris, what you said <laughs> might be true as well. All right, thank I'm you. So, I'm being an no, asshole. Okay, you're not at all. You're not at all. And this is why I say this, Allison, because I remember um, we're going to be there in two episodes now, or maybe three. What leap for Lisa? Spoiler, spoiler. Sorry, guys, we don't keep the timeline in this one. Al says flat out for the first time ever, or Sam says flat out for the first. Well, success should have no effect on leaping. And I remember when I saw that, I said, what the fuck? What, what do you mean? That's the whole premise of the show is mm-hmm. you leap because you succeed or you're stuck there forever. So I think like they're planting the seed here that Sam didn't do anything material. It's, it is like Indiana Jones. No matter what he did or what he didn't do, the entire story played out exactly the way it would have with or without his involvement. And I think that it's sort of like getting people a little bit ready for this 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 sea change that's coming in the premise of the show. Yeah, again you give you give him so much credit. But he has failed leaps before. He has failed leaps before, hasn't he? Has he? I don't think so. Mm, I guess there's some where you can't really you don't really know exactly if it's it's really a win. You know, they had the end of black and white on fire mm. and uh I don't know. I guess those are just downer endings rather than... I was thinking of, like, dreams, but that... I mean, he defeated the bad guy in that one, so... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like uh, the, this, the, the purpose of this ending... I don't think they were implying that they failed. If, if it was, it wasn't a very good, like, portrayal of that to say they failed and then the tone is just like, wah, wah, mummy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, just one more thing I wanted to note, and then that's it. Um, I do like the protection value on this, because they only have, like, um, a bunch of dirt, uh, and some tents, and one set, basically. Mm. Um, there is a really obvious backdrop outside of the tent, though. I didn't notice. When you look out there, you see where the dirt ends and the backdrop begins that's supposed to be mountains or whatever. It's very Star Trek-y. Yeah, I'd not noticed that. I will say this. This looked like a hell of a fun set to both build and to uh, work on. I think I would have had a lot of fun on this set. Yeah. You got to crawl around. You got to get all dusty. It just seemed like a really neat shoot. Yeah, I liked it. All right. Well, if you guys don't have anything else to add, um, we've talked a lot about Zahotep. You guys want to get to some final thoughts? Sure. Mm. All right. Uh, Morgan, why don't you go first? I thought it was a fun one. You know, again, I <laughs> saw it when I was was young, and uh, as we talked about, you you look back and you're like, "There's a lot of supernatural stuff going in a show that's supposed to be a, a sci-fi kind of show." <laughs> but uh, no, I enjoyed it. Okay, still five flying noodle kicks. <laughs> <laughs> or did we ruin that for you? <laughs> no, no, didn't ruin it. Good. What are your final thoughts, Alice? I think this is uh, this is a really fun episode. Uh, I I think it's one of my favorites. Actually, it's just a lot of uh, adventure stuff, and and I like the the mummy aspect of it. I think the Watwa ending is tremendous. I like that Sam seems to be having a, a good time on the leap until he isn't. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt, yeah, um, it's fun. I I don't find it particularly uh, quantum leapy. But it's a fun episode for sure. And yeah, I mean, fun seems to be the operative word here. Um, but as fun as it was, it still just does not sit well with me because of the over-the-top supernatural stuff that just kind of puts all the science out the window, which I think the show is at least you could argue that there was some scientific basis for almost everything that you saw on screen, you know, until these weird supernatural episodes start popping up in season four. This one just sort of broke the camel's back. <laughs> no pun intended and um just the fact that there was no other point for this leap except to have the mummy grab razul on the shoulder and get up and walk around it just it, it's beyond goofy beyond goofy but <laughs> that's just one man's opinion <laughs> but i think the discussion was still wonderful nonetheless so thank you guys for at least uh bringing different perspectives to me and allison for taking me down a peg and just completely laughing at my my ultra seriousness <laughs> <laughs> Morgan had my back on this uh, Tahotep being good. We're on the same side. We're going to stick together, huh? Mm -hmm. And speaking of Morgan and sticking together, uh, since you guys are thick as thieves with the hand link, we're going to take a break. Um, and when we come back, Morgan is going to tell us all about how he created the greatest fan prop of all time. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. Hi, everybody. This is Sean Ray. And John Irons. And we're the hosts of Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast. We're a show that has a little bit of everything. Yeah, we talk about movies and TV and cartoons, entertainment news, 
and every show has a different theme. That's right. We might discuss anything from our favorite bad movies to who would win in a fight between C-3PO and the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was episode 41, a classic. Uh, you can download that episode and all of our other episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, we're on Podcast Addict and, of course, on our website, CosmicPotato.com. It's special guests and movie nudes and geeky nerddom, nerdy geekery and lightsabers and Time Lords and Ninja Turtles all the way down. So check out uh, Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast. This is Carolyn Seymour, and you're listening to the Quantum Loop Podcast. Hey everyone, we're back, and as promised, we are going to speak to Quantum Leap podcast producer extraordinaire, Morgan Felden, about his handling prop. Morgan, first of all, congratulations on just an amazing, amazing piece of little technical wizardry, and uh, can you tell us how you started this whole journey? How did it come about? Absolutely. I guess it was about two and a half years ago. Um, I was a member of uh, Quantum Leap Fans Facebook group and a couple of other groups. And I was just scrolling through and I saw that someone had created the physical hand link prop, the gummy bear prop. And they had the acrylic and everything, the the physical look of it, perfect. Um, But they were just in the early stage of getting the electronics figured out. So when you were reading this and you saw that they were working, like what gave you the inspiration to reach out to them and say, hey, maybe I can help you with this? So so I, I introduced myself to Rob. His company is Replica Props. I talked to him and he said he'd spent years working on getting it to this point. He had tried different things. He'd tried casting resin. Uh, he was even thinking of using fiber optics for the lights, which would have been just unbelievably tedious to do. And But he started telling me what he had planned and it had been taking so long. And he's like, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have some blinking lights and I'm going to have some sounds. And what he described was not going to be 100% to the show. And being a fan as long as I have, I was like, no, <laughs> I've got to figure out how can I make this 100%. Yeah. And so I've, I just volunteered and I said, I'm kind of new at electronics. Give me some time. I'm going to go away, come up with a prototype and just see what I can do. You're new at electronics and you were able to do this? I was pretty new to electronics. Yeah. I figured this is oh something God. you've been doing all your life, this kind of thing. No, no. Um, I went and got a Raspberry Pi and uh, tried a lot of different things, got a prototype up and running. Wow. Uh, it was huge. There was no way it would fit inside the case. You have to say, wait, wait, well, but we got to back up. What's a Raspberry Pi? Mm. <laughs> so a, ras- a Raspberry Pi is a credit card sized Linux computer that's about half an inch to three quarters of an inch thick. Okay. They, they introduced it because they had looked in Europe, the UK, they looked at different places and they said, hey, kids need to be learning about computers, learning about a little bit of programming, these different things. Yeah. And buying a whole computer or 20 or 30 computers for a school was expensive. And they said, we, need, we can come up with something for 40 bucks that you can buy that is good enough of a computer that you can teach programming, you can teach um, what we now know is Internet of Things, where you can hook mm-hmm. a camera to it, you can hook alarms, sensors, lights. And so Raspberry Pi has become this massive thing that's used for everything now. Hmm. I'd never heard of it. I have a few of them in my house. They're very handy. 
And before we go any further with that, Morgan, I just want to take it a couple of steps back. I mean, you had mentioned that you had reached out to Rob and that he said that he had the gummy bear look already built perfectly, but he couldn't get sort of the components inside of it. So how did he arrive at that perfect model? What was that made of? And then did you guys have to completely re-engineer what he did to start incorporating what you wanted to do? What was that like? Oh, that's a great that's a great question. Uh, well, as you know, uh, the first two and a half seasons of the show, you had kind of a, a calculator looking hand link, mm-hmm. right? And then season three uh, was the great Spontini was the first time that the 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 gummy bear hand link with the acrylic blocks kind of made an appearance. Mm-hmm. So my partner Rob had watched Quantum Leap years ago, and that was the one that he wanted to reproduce was the gummy bear version of the hand link. And so the episode play ball, the, the hand link features very prominently in that there's entire scenes where it's in Al's pocket and, and Al's keeping secrets from Sam. Mm-hmm. And so it's making all these noises. And so there was a cast member on the, on that episode who actually took pretty good photographs of the prop from front and back. Okay. Nice. And so that was the starting point for him to create it. And he um, went ahead and bought a CO2 laser cutter engraver. Not cheap. Wow. <laughs> and he re- researched and looked at all of the different colors and types of acrylic that were available and uh, bought all different kinds and made different samples. He learned how to do the gluing, which is not easy because if you glue two pieces of acrylic together and you don't get it perfect, then you get all kinds of crazing and hairline cracks and clouding. and Wow. So he, he's become a real guru on gluing that stuff. <laughs> When he started that, like, that was uh, before they even had, like, HD copies of the show available, right? Like, just have photographs to work with. Correct. We were dependent upon, or he was dependent upon just those two photos from Play Ball. Wow. Those are good photos, though, right? They're pretty detailed. Yeah, definitely. But the colors were not 100%, and actually he ended up changing some colors. But then the Blu-ray came out, and I I, I sifted through all of those. Uh, looking at photos and we made some improvements and so yeah he posted all of this and he's he's done many replica props over the years he's done a lot of things of smallville oh has he oh he's done a ton of stuff for smallville oh my gosh all the kind of pendants and jewelry and you know red kryptonite blue kryptonite you know everything all that kind of stuff he's done wow that's so cool oh allison's gonna go on a shopping spree (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) That's very cool. So, but so, but at that point, then, so what you're telling me though is it was still just a solid slab of acrylic that was all glued together. That's correct. It was just like a bunch of rocks. Well, it, 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 it had a hollow in the middle where he was planning on putting the electronics. I see. Okay. So there's there's a front plate, a back plate, a an outside frame, and then the color blocks go onto that. So it's a sandwich of five layers. He had already pre-engineered a space for the electronics before. That gotcha. is correct, and that that was the pra- that was the limited parameters that I had to work with to make it fit. And so we we started with a Raspberry Pi. We realized that it was way more than we needed to blink lights, and <laughs> it used a lot of power. It was not not a good fit for a portable battery powered device. Uh, so then I learned about Arduino. Uh, went down the rabbit hole of Arduino, <laughs> and went down the rabbit hole of microcontrollers, and an Arduino is based on a microcontroller and a microcontroller is most of the time a single purpose chip that is used in embedded devices. For instance, if you have a toaster oven, there's a chip in there 
which determines whether it should turn the heat on or off or the fan on or off based on what settings you use. Okay. Your microwave has a microcontroller. The um, air conditioner in your car, maybe not now, but maybe a car in the in the 90s, the air conditioning system in your car, it would have a temperature sensor and it would have uh, – and it would read that. And based on that, it would cycle the fan on or off. It would change the mode to get the temperature right. And so we came up with a solution, which was a single chip that manages everything and very low power. And so then the next rabbit hole was learning how to make circuit boards. <laughs> Sounds simple. It was quite an evolution. <laughs> and uh, the end result was we went through a few revisions and uh, got a circuit board made, put all the components on it. And that's when we started really having something that delivered everything that we wanted, you know, and, and I watched episodes, you know, until I was cross-eyed. <laughs> I wanted to get the blink rate correct. Counting the LEDs. Oh. <laughs> the blink rate. I mean, the, the level of detail <laughs> is astounding to my me. My blink rate spreadsheet. I love this stuff. That's amazing, though. Like, I wouldn't know, like, 1% of what you did to make this prop, you and Rob. And that's, it seems extremely complicated, even in the realm of, of replica props. It's like crazy brilliant, you know? Uh, but at this point, was it just the lights now, Morgan, that you guys were chasing? Or were you incorporating sound at this point as well? I wanted to deliver the whole thing from the get-go, including being able to hit it and it played a sound <laughs> and getting all of the sounds in there. We started with the lights and I watched episodes and watched episodes. And the trickiest one was the back. The front, there's plenty of shots of the front of the hand link, you know, the part that faces Al. Mm -hmm. And you can count how many LED, there's 87, 87 LEDs on the front. Um, on the back... The, the hard part was most of the time, Dean Stockwell's hand is covering different LEDs. Mm. Well, um, not another mother. There was a, a really good shot in Liberation where you can see. Liberation. Yeah. That's it. Liberation. Thank you. You saved me. The one where you can see the battery, right? Yes. So I was with different shots in Liberation, I was able to see the back and see that there were 13 LEDs and where they were and the color and everything and to create that. Accurately. So there's, hang on, there's a different blink sequence in the back. I, I don't have one of these handlings, and I've obviously not watched the episodes as closely as you. I didn't realize there was a different set at the back as at the front. I thought that the lights were just a single layer. That's amazing. <laughs> more, more down the rabbit yeah. hole. There's 13 LEDs on the back. Most of the LEDs on the front are actually uh, cluster LEDs that haven't been made since the 80s. <laughs> oh, jeez. Wow. So when, when John Riley, that's his name, when John Riley created the Gummy Bear Handlink, he used parts that were already very rare, flummoxing people wanting to make replicas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Probably not on purpose, but... So this was the guy who made the original prop for the show? Correct. John D. Riley created the, the Gummy Bear Handlink. Okay. And uh, created it for, let's see, the Great Spontini was when they um, first introduced it. And then the Leap Back, I think they realized that it would probably be an excellent idea to have two of them. <laughs> <laughs> they only had one that whole time? Correct. And Dean dropped it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so for the Leap Back, they created a second one. And so the first one, uh, going based on the numbering in Matt's wonderful book, uh, is version 10. That's the first gummy bear. And then with the leap back, they created the other one, which is version 11. And the two of them are slightly different visually. And you can actually tell when you're watching the episodes which one you're looking at. Oh my gosh. I mean, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, what what are some of the differences? So on one of them, there is an extra protruding yellow block on the left side, right where your index finger would be. Yeah, I remember going crazy looking for that one. Um, the other big difference, and you really notice this in Running for Honor, is in the in the scenes in the dark when Al is walking into the the um, publishing place and he's looking and he's seeing uh, that he's hanging a noose. You see many many shots of the front of the handlink, and the pattern of the green lights blinking is different between the ten and the eleven. Oh, so. <laughs> So we definitely geeked out on on getting all the details. So did you did you base it on a ten or eleven or a mix of both or? It's based on. Ooh, now I'm trying to remember. It's it's based on how it looked in Playball, and I mentioned that because again, this issue where sometimes the handlink would get damaged. There are two blocks in the center which were originally clear or not clear, but like a clear yellow and a clear orange. Those had broken, and so they were taken out and replaced with two opaque blocks. Oh. And so that's what's in the shipping prop. So technically, the hand link that you have is accurate to the one in play ball because it has that repair. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I see it right there. That's so amazing. So if you go with the numbering that I came up with, that's a version 11 alternate. It's a version 11. Mm-hmm. Because, the, because the number 10 has got that, that extra yellow block, yeah. which we did not do. Yeah. But what, where do we get the 10 and the 11? Was there a 1 through 9? That's a math that, question. <laughs> that, that in, that's all the hand links going back to the... There's, there's a, a slimline one that only appears in the pilot. Then there's one early season one that's got a few LEDs on it. And then they do they, they do a few upgrades of the calculator one. Um, oh, I see. Throughout I see. the first two seasons. So that's versions 1 to 6. And then there's a couple of versions that I don't think ever actually made it to screen but were some kind of prototypes. And then version 9 is the first one that, that appears on screen in the great Spontini and or Boogeyman. Yeah, I think Boogeyman aired first, but Spontini was the first exactly. intended. Yeah. yeah. And and the calculator one was, was quite a technological marvel as well. Yeah. Was it? It could actually be programmed on set with a laptop, and they could make it say whatever they wanted on the screen. Why didn't they make it say anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's a whole backstory if you Google it, if you go on the Replica Prop Forum. It's not the most flattering write-up I've ever read. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. It basically boils down to the producers of the show wanted something different. And that's when they came up with the Gummy Bear Handlink. Uh, yeah, I know they, like, Donald Belisario in particular was never really happy and just kept changing and all that. But, uh, like, I just don't get why when they had... Uh, the the calculator one they could program it to say things the only time i ever saw any words on screen it just said enter yes <laughs> it was nothing <laughs> and it could have said something it feels like they you know if they had it why would they just throw that away no a, lo- a lot of time went into that that calculator prop and uh the person who did that he went on to do all kinds of star trek stuff so he did okay oh awesome if i wanted to take the most circumspect look at it, I would say that they wanted something, you couldn't identify what it was. And this is very Don Belisario. They, you wanted something that you couldn't identify what it was. It was just iconic. You know what? It. I think that's what they ended up with. Yeah. Of course, you ask all these questions. Well, how did Al read the text on the screen? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was no screen in the 10 or the 11, right? Exactly. So how did he know what it says? It's and- like a colored Morse code. That Al can read. <laughs> exactly. You know, I've reckoned it as, uh, as advanced reality or uh, like a VR kind of setup. Maybe there was a holographic 
projection that, right. that that Sam couldn't see that's like that had the text on it that only Al can see and hear. Enhanced reality is the word I was looking for. I think it's a combo of that and and he can hear Ziggy because in the leap back we can certain like Sam's talking to her just in there. So it kind of seems mm-hmm. like a mix of both. But he's also Sam has also got the wrist link to talk to Ziggy. So I know we've we've had this discussion before, and um, uh, the wrist link. Someone needs to make that. We're actually very close on the wrist link. Yay! <laughs> wow! Excited. So before we get to the wrist link, I want to go back to the handling prompt as it exists. So you guys had done the LEDs, and you said that you wanted to deliver both the lights and the sound. Correct. In one package. So you had basically finally gotten the light sequence down um, and cataloged. And I guess you were able to create it the way you wanted to. What did you, did you like go on eBay to find those weird cluster LEDs or did you just sort of gin something up that mimicked that? So what we found and what we tested is that we could make a circuit board with low profile chips and low profile LEDs and you could push it right up to the bottom of the faceplate, and it was close enough that it would shine up through as well as the original cluster LEDs where they actually baked the diodes into acrylic blocks. Okay, so you had to you you found a way around that impossible step. And the next thing we needed was capacitive touch so that you can touch on different places and make the sounds. Um one more quick thing about the lights is you say okay, there's a light pattern. Well, in different episodes the lights blink more or less frantically. And there's no better episode for this than Hurricane. When Al starts telling him what's going to happen, it's, it's early in the episode. The crisis hasn't hit yet. The lights are blinking very slowly. Over the course of the episode, there was actually a little potentiometer in the, prop, in the original prop that a cast member could turn a screw and increase the speed of the blinking. Wow. <laughs> oh. Jeez. And as in the course of the episode, it gets blinking faster and faster. And the absolute fastest scene is when Al is in the back of the cruiser with Sam in the front, uh, and he's telling him, you know, you, you've got two, five minutes to get here, and you, you can't get to both sides of the island at the same time. And it's blinking so fast, it looks like it's going to blow up. Oh, my gosh. And you could see that real well in the back mm. when, the, like, the lights, it's like nighttime they're driving around when that's going on. Absolutely. I, I got to know these episodes very well. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I never noticed these details. This is fascinating to me. And so we actually built into the finished uh, replica uh, one of the touchpads changes the speed of the blinking, and you can go from very leisurely to very frantic. That's crazy. Now, how did how did you learn that somebody built that potentiometer into the prop? Was it just people who had been on set? or So, a very interesting story. We, we, we got a chance, actually, to have a little bit of a discussion with John Riley. Nice. Wow. He told us cool. that, that they had done that. And uh, he's been very, very uh, positive about what we've done. He feels that uh, we got it pretty close, which to me is high praise. That's amazing. And then the, the next part where we, were, where we were stuck, you know, the sounds wasn't too bad. I came up with a solution for the sounds. The hardest part of the whole thing turned out to be the hitting the side of it, you know, the, the shock detection. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. We tried and tried several little components that is basically it's a spring inside of a little plastic thing, and then it's got a wire inside. And when you hit it hard enough, the wire hits the spring and makes contact. Had to come up with a little Rube Goldberg of sorts. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we tried all different ones, and we had the Goldilocks problem. We got one that if you sneezed in the other room, it went <laughs> off. 
And then at the other extreme, you had to physically drop the prop for it to go off. And so we went back and forth. And finally, <laughs> we ended up putting an accelerometer in the hand link. <sighs> Beautiful. What is an accelerometer? So your, your cell phone has an accelerometer in it. And that's how it knows whether your phone is facing portrait or landscape. And you can actually download an app to your phone. It's like Roller Coaster Tracker, and you can go on a roller coaster, and it'll tell you the G-forces during the entire ride. Wow. And so with this accelerometer chip, which is about 50 cents, <laughs> that with this accelerometer chip, uh, because they're, every cell phone has one, so the price came down, uh, we can tell exactly how many G-forces are affecting at any one time. And when you hit it, it goes off. Wow. So the next adventure was to get all the sounds. And this is where Matt and I came together and put together an Excel sheet and watched every episode. <laughs> and he wrote down every time index in every episode where the hand link made a sound. We went through. We found the cleanest sounds we could. Yeah, uh, yeah pretty, pretty crazy. And whose job was it to name those sounds once you cataloged them? Because I imagine they have some pretty crazy names. Yeah, that, that was all more... Yeah, that's, that's, let's see. So when he hits it and it goes, that's eagle, eagle scream. <laughs> Hit it. I want to hear eagle scream. <laughs> we know what it sounds like. But that, that was a perfectly good impression. <laughs> I'm thinking that's eagle scream. Yeah, that's eagle there scream. But it also, there's one that goes up. So there's actually six or seven different ones when you hit it. I'm just going to play with my prop. What I didn't appreciate until we were doing this, because it's just one of those things that it happens in the in the background, at least for me, I was tuning it out, is the amount of times Al's holding the hand link and he just gestures with his hands and he just he's not shaking the hand link. He just does a general shrug and a shake of his hands and they, they add in a sound effect there. And um, until you're actually really listening out for it, I certainly didn't spot that. But there's a lot more times that it makes a sound than just the obvious ones when he's hitting it and shaking it and chucking it around yeah in, in in dreams there's a couple times when al you know is very exasperated and he sticks his arm out yeah and when he does that it plays the sound yeah i can uh, i can throw out some names by the way I've, I've got the sheet open now we've got squiggle eagle confused eagle annoyed <laughs> eagle down eagle up i'm sensing a theme <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's 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 pretty funny. And so you isolated these sounds, I guess, from show files, obviously. Yeah, from from the Blu-ray. And then how do they translate from, say, like a, a a sound file onto a computer chip? And then how how can you hear them from the prop? The prop actually has a previous generation iPhone speaker in it because we wanted really clear sound. And then there's an MP3 module which is attached to the board. And I, I upload the sounds to that. And uh, I, I wanted it so that, because there's there's seven touchpads on the front. And I wanted it so that four of the touchpads would play a different subset of the sounds. But you could sit there and you could touch them in a different sequence. And you could actually, it was important to me, because I've gotten into cosplay. It was important to me that it could actually be performed the way Al, or Dean Stockwell, performed it on the show. Where you could actually push the buttons and get the sounds just like the show. So I was real particular about that. And how long did that take? Oh, it was uh, a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And we actually detoured. And before we finished the hand link, we actually finished the circuit board for the wrist link. 
because that was like a quick thing that we could that I could like. Okay, let me try a small circuit board first, and it, it's just it's just gone from there. And again, I I, I have to credit Matt because uh, finding clean sound that was the hard part is finding clean sounds where mm. there's not you know car tires or background noise or someone driving, uh, someone talking. And I th- what was the episode that we found that had most of them? I think it turned out that it was Ghost Ship, where where Al is just beating on the handlink, yes, trying to get it to behave when they're in the Bermuda Triangle, and there was that was a source for a lot of good clean sounds. All right, Ghost Ship. Yeah, I was following this for a while. Like I know the making this prop has been like just years and years and years. That's a crazy amount of work to put in there, and like I really admire how much both of you, uh, well, all three of you, because Matt also contributed, like um, how much everyone um, put into this. Because, like I said before, this seems like, even in the the realm of prop making, this seems like an extremely complicated prop to do. So, Rob, my my partner on this, he he told me that that this has been considered the (laughs) Widowmaker. The (laughs) Widowmaker. Over the years, other people have tried to make replica hand links. And they've hit a brick wall because they've tried to cast in resin. They've they've tried different. They've tried to buy those LEDs that you can't buy anymore from Calpac. They don't make them anymore. And yeah, I mean that one. There's a there's a couple other props that we have in mind which have been very difficult to to figure it out. But uh, uh, you know we're we're moving forward. Uh, just real quick, have have either of y'all watched the Voyagers? It was a one one season show. It was an educational time travel show. That was with the guy from Cover Up, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, with with Mino Palouse, with Punky Brewster's brother. I loved Voyagers when I was a kid. It was so dumb and so yep, bad, yep, but you're yep. talking about the Omni, I'm pretty sure. We're talking about the Omni, and uh, Rob has already produced two runs of it, and now we're going to produce one with electronics. This uh, See, I've never seen the show. This is like a, a prop magical thing or something time travel thing it's it's their time travel device it's it's larger than a pocket watch and for a face it's got a a globe that shows you where in the world you are and then there's four dials that tell you what the time and date are where you are and the premise of the show is that the main guy uh has lost his history book phineas bog oh i'm looking at it this is a cool looking prop and so uh uh, the kid who's with him jeffrey is a huge history buff (laughs) And so they end up in somewhere in time and he's like, okay, so they see the time and the date and he and the kid has to tell him where they are. Awesome. It was almost like the greatest American hero where it was ludicrous that he couldn't get another book. Otherwise you wouldn't need <laughs> Jeffrey. <laughs> right, right. But it was a fun show when you were a kid. I can tell you that. And actually someone just tweeted me saying, do you guys think you could do a Voyagers podcast? Oh boy. So <laughs> there's there's this like call out there for that. It wouldn't be hard to cover if it's just one season, right? Yeah, it's just the one season. I li- yeah, I like the look of this prop. It's very cool. Yeah, and the Omni was always a neat little piece of tech. And I remember it specifically because there's an episode of Voyagers where um, they meet Thomas Edison. I believe it was Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison. And he takes the entire thing yep. apart. And Jeffrey goes to like grab it. And he's like, don't touch it because if you touch it, I won't be able to put it back together. And I remembered that so specifically, like, wow, this, you know, it's really like this physical thing and everything's hinging on it. Just, it just struck me as a kid that it was a really cool prop and they, they really integrated it into the show. But yeah, I'd love to see your Omni. Um, But getting back to the Quantum Leap stuff, first of all, tell everybody where they can get this amazing prop. Okay. So the hand link you can get at replicaprops.com under television replicas. 
Uh, or you can go to my website, which is cosplaylightandsound.com. And we're both on Facebook and Instagram as well. Okay. And the second question I have is for all of the leapers out there. Um, what's the timeline on the wrist prop? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, we are hoping to make a cradle for it that is nicer than just sticking a USB in. And we may end up doing that, but we've had some discussions about that we could make a cradle for both the hand link and the wrist link. Ooh. <laughs> nice. So if you had one station that had both of them, then that that would look really nice. And so that's something that we're talking about. It's funny because the wrist link is, is so iconic, but it was only seen in one episode, the leap back. Right. Yeah. Maybe this was a thought for you, um, but I'm going to throw it out there. Um, if you made the cradle look like a little mini console like they have <laughs> the, in the Leap Back, where it's just like a giant um. hand link desk, if it was like that, that'd be pretty amazing. <laughs> just saying. I would love to see that. I would that That would be fantastic if we could do that. That would be something else to, to make a make a Ziggy that's just big enough that you can put the hand link and the wrist link on it. That would be so cool. Well, you know, I'm behind whatever you guys do. That sounds so good. Well, thank you. And just curious, any plans to make an evil leaper hand link? Are we going to see Zoe's jam? I would really, really, really like to do Zoe's uh, hand link. Fortunately, we have very good reference pictures of it from the episode. Uh, she holds it at all different angles that you can see it very clearly. The trick is it makes quite a few sounds, uh, which fortunately I've been able to get a clear recording of most of them. The problem is, is that there's no buttons. There's no place to really hide that. There's no lights or anything like that. And so what I'm hoping is that I can do a little bit of magnetic wire that you wouldn't even see. But if you touch different parts of the face, it would play, play the sounds. Because of course, that's what you would do. That's the first <laughs> thing that came to my mind. Yeah. So let's put it this way. This is not an if, this is a when, when you brilliantly figure it out. <laughs> so everybody stay tuned to replicaprops.com and to Morgan's cosplaylightandsound.com. We'll have links to both of those on the Quantum Leap podcast website. So uh, look, guys, just take my money. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> 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 well, Morgan, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today, not only to talk about Tahotep, but also to take us on this amazing journey, this amazing handling journey that you've been on. I can't wait to interview you again when you finally figure out how to crack the Zoe handling. So that's going to be equally fascinating, I'm sure. Well, it was a blast. I'm, I'm glad to share some of the stories and uh, the adventure that uh, took us to this point. And now we're shipping them. They're, they're flying out the door. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Morgan, thanks so much. Woo! Morgan Feldman. Yay! Yay! Yay, Morgan. Thank you. Happy to support the show. And speaking of supporting the show, guys, I am proud to announce that we have new patrons. That's patrons with an S. To pre oh, yes. Multiple. We need to shout out multiple patrons on our Patreon <sighs> site. So um, give me uh, your warmest round of applause for Tabitha Franco. Tabitha. Woo! Yay. Tabitha joined at the $5 Leaper level. We can also say thank you to Daniel Campbell. Uh, Campbell? Campbell? C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. -L. How would you? I'd say Campbell. Campbell. Right? Like, uh, like Campbell soup. <laughs> right, okay. Let's not go into name pronunciations again. <laughs> Florina Lobby liked it. No one says Campbell. Come on. <laughs> well, Daniel Campbell is another $5 Leaper Patreon patron. So thank you to Daniel. Let's Yay, Daniel, you are 
thank you to both of them. And we have a third. What? Whoa. <gasps> oh, my God. No. Oh, oh, wait. Wait Save a minute. It. Yes. Three. Three new patrons this, this time around. Our third new patron is Les C. Gull. That's Les C. Period Gull. And before you make a joke, his avatar is a picture of a seagull with a rainbow. Oh, so, my God. Yes, Les okay. C. Gull. Okay. And... Les is supporting us at the $2 Observer level, and Les, here is your shout-out on the podcast. Yay! Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you one and all. Thank you, Tabitha, Daniel, and Les. It's uh, support like yours that allows us to do this show and to actually produce that great Patreon bonus content that we have in the pipeline. Most people have probably heard Fangent number one already or the sneak peek that we debuted on the feed. I know that Allison, Matt, and I had a great time doing that. Anyway, I did. Am I speaking out of turn, guys? No, that was fun. No, I thought that was a lot no, of fun. Yeah, yeah. Fangent was great. And... Um, by this time next week, we hope to have our first Leaps Elsewhere episode out. It is us reviewing I-Man, which was a failed Scott Bakula pilot for Disney. But it so. wasn't a failure. In so many ways, it was not a failure. <laughs> it was a triumph. <laughs> yes, it was a triumph. Um, I think that our recording of it is also a triumph. I'm happy to report that. And I'm also happy to report that we have some feedback. Yeah, Feedback, yeah! Go feedback! <laughs> Feedback, feedback. It's it's not a lot of feedback, but um, I think it's some pretty pertinent feedback, so I thought that uh, we would feature it in the show sooner rather than later. Sound good? Sounds, Sounds good. good. This is a four-star Apple Podcasts review that we got from a reviewer named The Ultimate Funny. That's all one word. <laughs> and <laughs> he titles his review, Great Show. We like him already. <laughs> Ultimate funny. There were five stars you could have given us, but only four for a great show. Great show if you like bad shows. Oh, you fooled <laughs> us. <laughs> Curses. The Ultimate Funny got us again. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> it's not that bad. Here, let me let me begin. Um, what, we'll swap off every two sentences, gang. All right, I'll start. I've heard a lot of fan slash rewatch podcasts, but this one is a cut above the rest. The hosts are great. The perfect amount of funny and informative. I was legit surprised at how much I like all three of them without hearing of them before. But the real highlight is the guests. They managed to pull some of the most interesting behind-the-scenes people and get very interesting, in-depth interviews about the episodes. Docked at one star simply because it is too long and the show would benefit from a little editing to keep it under two hours. Still, it's fantastic content and I'll keep listening regardless of the length. Oh. Thank you very much, The Ultimate Funny. And that's kind of a weird thing for him to say that he would like to have it shorter, but he likes the in-depth interviews. Well, and I know that this is a balance that we've sort of tried to struggle with yeah. in the past. You know, We've done longer shows because we've had people on like Chris Rupenthal to talk about Southern Comforts um, in a round-robin style with us. That one ran, mm. I think, a couple hours. Mm. We, we, we had the other episode, it was Piano Man, and we had Velton Ray Bunch on talking about it. And uh, Allison and I spoke to him for about an hour, right, Allison? So Yeah, we talked to him for a while. He was very generous with his time. He was. And everybody, here's the thing, is everybody that we get, they're all so generous with their time. And the fact that they even, you know, agree to talk to us at all, for us is a coup. 
because we're just fans and we're just doing this for the love of it. And it's so amazing that we've gotten to speak to people like Scott freaking Bakula <laughs> has been on this show. I mean, we weren't on the show when he was on it, but you know, it's still Scott Bakula, Don Belisario has been yeah. on the show. So we always want to give them their due when we do have an interview. But you know, I understand, you know, a podcast that's about two hours long, it can get to be a little much. That's why we try to keep it to an hour when it's just us yakking and yakking and yakking, you know? That being said, um, you might have noticed that some of the interviews have dropped off lately, and mainly because I'm dropping the ball on it, but we've made a much more concerted effort in the last couple of weeks to get a wish list together of names, and um, we're going out and just trying to contact as many people as we can now. We, we got to get that monkey. We got to get the diaper monkey <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> on the podcast, oh, but his agent man. keeps, uh, keeps uh, giving us the runaround. Thing is, you you know that diaper monkey's going to talk, and the idea of that being kept down to two hours—that that's a pipe dream. <laughs> that's a three-part podcast in itself. If we want a super long podcast. We get my best friend Jean Pierre Dorliac. <laughs> Do you know Jean Pierre Dorliac? I know my best friend Jean Pierre Dorliac. Um, he likes to talk for a very long time, and he always has great <laughs> stories. <laughs> I can well imagine. He also did an amazing interview with this very podcast. So He did, yeah. yeah we had him on when he uh, wrote his book, The Naked Truth, which you can probably still get on Amazon. So we recommend that highly to everyone. You know, I asked him the other day. Who? <laughs> my best friend, Jean-Pierre Dorlier. <laughs> I was like, tell us about the costumes in Tahotep, please. Uh, I tweeted about this and he was like... <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he messaged me and he's like... There's not really much to tell. There's just, just like khaki <laughs> shorts and stuff. Like, what do you what do you want to know? And I'm like, what, well, what did you expect? I guess nothing. That's a fair I point. don't know. I didn't know if maybe there was some thought, you know, like, oh well, you know, because it was so dirty, we had to do something, or we were very inspired by this, or you know, I don't know. <laughs> this is a man who's made a career out of doing glamorous flamboyant <laughs> extravagant costumes throughout time and space and you ask him about khaki he always has a story <laughs> that was the first time he didn't have a story like it's like this was the most pointless question to ask no i don't really have a, was there something something specific no not really <laughs> but thanks jean pierre <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, ultimate funny. Um, we do try to strike a balance, and uh, hopefully we'll do better for you in the future. But uh, we also just want to thank you. This is the first Apple Podcast review we've gotten in a little while. And I just wanted to make an appeal to the listeners out there. If you are listening to the show on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or on Spotify or wherever it is that you get your fine podcasts, leave us a review. Um the thing about Apple Podcasts especially is that the more five-star reviews you have, the higher you get up in the ratings, and then the easier it is for other people to find the podcast. So just by leaving, even if you don't do like a whole little missive like Ultimate Funny did here, even though we'd love to hear it, even just a, a star review, like a five-star review, um, goes a long way to helping grow the podcasts and get us to a bigger audience. So we'd appreciate that for anybody out there who uh, might be so inclined. And you know what? If you don't want to leave a five-star review, I'd say don't leave a review at all, but leave an honest review. I mean, my ego can handle it. I don't know about Allison. She's a little bit of a delicate doily, but <laughs> my, my, my ego can no, handle it. Don't give us bad reviews. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Matt, forget about it. He's a basket case. Yeah, I'm British. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. We should come up with, like, a secret code phrase for people to put into the podcast review, like, after our, like, appeal, like, to know they were listening. You know, like, Gushy says hi. (laughs) (laughs) Or I only wrote this because Chris was begging and I just felt sorry for him. Well, at least it's true. (laughs) Dry your podcaster tears. So I think we've also revealed another truth here that podcasters are uh, universally insecure. So Yes. Please love us. And if you listeners out there would like to contact us, you can do so by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can get us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Quantum Leap Pod, and you can always support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Just remember, we may use your response in an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, tell us what's next. Well, next we're going to be talking about the comic legend that is the episode Standoff. So, what did the cop say? Probably say you should get yourself a day job. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, buddy, what did you do? Escape from a home for the comedically stunted or just the hopelessly stupid, huh? (laughs) Stay with me, will you, David? Uh, Yeah, well, this cop said that... Yeah, he was hauling you in. He was hauling me in, and and I was... Naked? Naked. (laughs) <laughs> and then hiding in the hiding, bushes. Hiding in the bushes. And uh and, well. and you were you were holding the sheep? And then you said Oh boy. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, uh, Bob Saget, Amy Esbeck, two very funny people. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> There is every reason this should be a classic. And then you were holding the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> is is that one that you like, Morgan? I just want your thoughts on stand-up. That's the only part I remember from the episode. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Whether or not it is a classic, even though it's got all of the makings of a classic, I guess remains to be seen, huh, guys? So that's something that we will be discussing next time. Until then, I've been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Super Allison. <laughs> And I've been Super Matt Dale. I don't know the reference, but oh, we'll you see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Christopher DeFilippis, and Allison Pregler. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden is the producer. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual, and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, 
and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. I want to be open because I broke quarantine yesterday since Laura and I both tested negative on Friday for, hey. for antibodies and everything. Good. My parents were out driving around and I said, just come over. So we had dinner last night and, um, you know, they were at the house, they were on the deck, they were in the dining room. And now I feel like I have this panic, this guilt, like I think, did I kill my parents? Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh at that. But... It's okay. You're talking about eating Zach, so. Yeah, <laughs> true. I, I'm still planning it. I'm plumping him up at the moment. Morgan, are there any uh, family members you're planning to murder in some horrible way? Or... No, not that I can think of. <laughs> okay. Keep an open mind. I regret sending that picture of Gritty before because now gritty is just staring <laughs> just staring at us eerily <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know if morgan can see that one maybe he's a lucky man no i can see it oh, oh good you poor poor bastard <laughs> we were talking about gritty last week for some reason does that mean you can see our historical chat including pictures of colin baker looking sexy and Mr. <laughs> dna <laughs> jesus please hold i need to go scroll back some <laughs> sexy colin baker should be shared with everyone Guys, I'm going to um, put a cue in here for um, either an interview or whatever. Um, this is if we get someone, all right? Please so. tell me we'll get the camel from this episode. <laughs> wow. Okay, now I can, can hear again. Hey, cool. there we are. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. That's all baffling. Right. Welcome back, Cotter. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter. <laughs> Up your nose at the rubber hose. Morgan, do you remember that? I feel like it's it's me and old man Chris that remembers the stuff. <laughs> oh my god, I loved watching Welcome Back, Cotter. That was one of my favorite shows. I did not watch Welcome Back, Cotter. Oh, uh, you know the theme though, right? I think so. Yeah. Welcome back. Oh yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. Allison, which borough? Which borough was uh, Welcome Back, Cotter set in? You know, I've never seen a single episode of Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> Wait a second. Penelope. Oh, you got sand on you. Penelope just came up on my lap and I'm getting like hands full of stuff. Got the Tahoe Tep sand. Got the. <laughs> I hope Chris is wearing khaki. The curse. The curse affects even <laughs> the you. Curse. Mommy! Mommy! Mommy!